0: Today I will read The Black Velvet Police, written by Amelia Opie in 1807 and published in a book, Simple Tales in 1827. I read aloud for my pleasure and hopefully yours. I hope you do not mind mistakes, I am reading through to the end, pausing only to delineate the passage of time or to correct an awkwardly read word or phrase. The story has a cadence that is as difficult to read as it is beautiful to hear. The Black Velvet Police. Mr. Beresford was a merchant, engaged in a very extensive business, and possessed of considerable property, a great part of which was vested in a large estate in the country on which he chiefly resided. Beresford was what is commonly denominated purse-proud, and so eager to be honored upon account of his wealth that he shunned rather than courted the society of men of rank, as he was fond of power and precedence and did not like to associate with those who had an indisputable claim to that deference, of which he himself was desirous. But he earnestly wished that his only child and heiress should marry a man of rank, and being informed that a young baronet of large estates in his neighborhood and who was also heir to a barony was just returned from his travels and intended to settle at his paternal seat mr beresford was resolved that julia should have every possible opportunity of showing off to the best advantage before so desirable a neighbor and he determined that his daughter his house, and his table should not want any charm which money could procure. Beresford had gained his fortune by degrees, and having been educated by frugal and retired parents, his habits were almost parsimonious, parsimonious, and when he launched out into unwanted expenses on becoming wealthy, it was only in a partial manner. His house and his furniture had a sort of piebald appearance. His style of living was not consistent, like that of a man used to live like a gentleman, but opulence with a timid grasp seemed to squeeze out its indulgences from the gripping fingers of habitual economy. True, he could on occasion be splendid, both in public and private gifts, but such bounties were efforts, and he seemed to wonder at himself whenever the exertion was over. Julia Beresford, his daughter, accustomed from her birth to affluence, if not to luxury, and having in everything what is called the spirit of a gentlewoman, was often distressed and mortified at the want of consistency in her father's mode of living. But she was particularly distressed to find that, though he was always telling her what a fortune he would give her when she married and at his death. He allowed her but a trifling sum, comparatively, for pocket money, and required from her, with teasing minuteness, an account of the manner in which her allowance was spent, reprobating very severely her propensity to spend her money on plausible beggars and pretended invalids. But on this point he talked in vain. Used by a benevolent and pious mother, whose loss she tenderly deplored, to impart comfort to the poor, the sick, and the afflicted, Julia endeavored to make her residence in the country a blessing to the neighborhood. But too often, kind words, soothing visits, and generous promises were all that she had to bestow, and many a time did she purchase the means of relieving a distressed fellow creature by a personal sacrifice for though ever ready to contribute to a subscription either public or private Mm -hmm. beresford could not be prevailed upon to indulge his daughter by giving way to that habitual benevolence which when once practiced can never be left off but though the sums were trifling which julia had to bestow she had so many cheap charities in her power such as sending broth to the neighboring cottages and making linen of various sorts for poor women and children, that she was deservedly popular in the neighborhood. And though her father was reckoned as proud as he was rich, the daughter was pronounced to be a pattern of good nature and as affable as he was the contrary. But wherever Beresford could have an opportunity of displaying his wealth to advantage, he regarded not expense, and to outvie the neighboring gentlemen in endeavors to attract the rich young baronet, whom all the young ladies would, he supposed, be aiming to captivate, he purchased magnificent furniture and carriages, and promised Julia a great addition to her wardrobe, whenever Sir Frederick Mortimer should take up his abode at his seat. Julia heard that the baronet was expected with a beating heart, She had been several times in his company at a watering place, immediately on his return from abroad, and had wished to appear as charming in his eyes as he appeared in hers. But she had been disappointed, modest and retiring in her manner, and not showy in her person, though her features were regularly beautiful. Sir Frederick Mortimer, who had only seen her in large companies and with very striking and attractive women, had regarded her merely as an amiable girl. And had rarely thought of her again. Julia Beresford was formed to steal upon the affections by slow degrees, to interest on acquaintance, not to strike at first sight. But the man who had the opportunities of listening to the sweet tones of her voice and of gazing on her varied countenance when emotion crimsoned her pale cheek and lighted up the expression of her eyes could never behold her without a degree of interest which beauty alone fails to excite. Like most women, too, Julia derived great advantages from dress. Of this she was sensible, though very often did she appear shabbily attired from having expended on others sums destined to ornament herself. But when she had done so, a a physiognomist would have discovered in her countenance probably an expression of self-satisfaction, more ornamental than any dress could be. But generally, as Julia knew the value of external decoration, she wisely wished to indulge in it. One day, accompanied by her father, went to the shop of a milliner in a large town near which they lived. And as winter was coming on and her police, a dark and now faded purple, was nearly worn out, she was very desirous of purchasing a black velvet one, which was on sale. But her father, hearing that the price of it was 12 guineas, positively forbade her to wish for so expensive a piece of finery though he owned that it was very handsome and very becoming to be sure said said julia smiling but casting a longing look at the police 12 guineas might be better bestowed and they left the shop day Mr. Beresford went to town on business and in in a short time after he wrote to his daughter to say that he had met Sir Frederick Mortimer in London and that he would soon be down at his seat to attend some pony races which Mr. Hanmer who had a mind to show off his dowdy daughter to the young baronet intended to have on a piece of land belonging to him and that he had heard all the ladies in the neighborhood were to be there. "'I have received an invitation for you and myself,' continued Mr. Beresford, "'and therefore, as I am resolved that the Miss Tracys and the other girls "'shall not be better or more expensively dressed than my daughter, "'I enclose you bills to the amount of thirteen pounds, "'and I desire you to go and purchase the Velvet Police, which we so admired, "'and I have sent you a hat, the most elegant which money could procure, "'in order that my heiress may appear as an heiress should do.'" julia's young heart beat with pleasure at this permission for she was to adorn herself to appear before the only man whom she ever wished to please and the next morning she determined to set off to make the desired purchase that evening being alone she set out to take her usual walk and having lost in no unpleasing reverie strayed very near to a village about three miles from home She recollected to have heard an affecting account of the distress of a very virtuous and industrious family in that village, owing to the poor man's being drawn for the militia and not rich enough to procure a substitute. She therefore resolved to go on and inquire how the matter had terminated. Julia proceeded to the village and reached it just as the very objects of her solicitude were come to the height of their distresses. The father of the family, not being able to raise more than half the money wanted, was obliged to serve, and Julia, on seeing a crowd assembled, approached to ask what was going forward, and found she was arrived to witness a very affecting scene, for the poor man was taking his last farewell of his wife and family, who, on his departure to join the regiment, would be forced to go to the workhouse, where, as they were in delicate health, it was most probable that they would soon fall victims to bad food and bad air. The poor man was universally beloved in his village, and the neighbors, seeing that a young lady inquired concerning his misfortunes with an air of interest, were all eager to give her every possible information on the subject of his distress and only think miss said one of them for the want of nine pounds only as honest and hard-working a lad as ever lived and as good a husband and father must be forced to leave his family and be a militia man and they poor things go to the workhouse nine pounds said julia would that be sufficient to keep him at home la yes miss for that fellow yonder would gladly go for him for 18 pounds on hearing this How many thoughts rapidly succeeded each other in julia's mind if she paid the nine pounds the man would be restored to his family and they preserved perhaps from an untimely death in a workhouse but then she had no money but what her father had sent to purchase the police nor was she to see him till she met him on the race ground and he would be so disappointed if she was not well dressed true she may she might take the police out on trust but then she was sure her father would be highly incensed at her extravagance if she spent 12 guineas and gave away nine pounds at the same time therefore she knew she must either give up doing a generous action or give up the police that is give up the gratification of her father's pride and her own vanity no i dare not i cannot do it thought julia My own vanity I would willingly mortify, but not my father's. No, the poor man must go. During this mental struggle, the bystander had eagerly watched her countenance, and thinking she was disposed to pay the sum required, they communicated their hopes to the poor people themselves. And as Julia turned her eyes towards them, the wretched couple looked at her with such an imploring look. But she was resolved. "'I am sorry, I am very sorry,' she said, "'that I can do nothing for you. "'However, take this.' "'So saying, she gave them all the loose money "'she had in her pocket, amounting to a few shillings, "'and then, with an aching heart, walked rapidly away. "'But as she did so, the sobs of the poor woman "'as she leaned on her husband's shoulder "'and the cries of the little boy "'when his father, struggling with his grief, "'bade him at last farewell,' reached her and penetrated her heart Poor creatures she inwardly exclaimed and nine pounds would change these tears into gladness and yet I withhold it and is it for this that heaven has blessed me with opulence for this to be restrained by the fear of being reproved for spending a paltry sum such as this from doing an action acceptable in the eyes of my creator no I will pay the money, I will give myself the delight of serving afflicted worth, and spare myself from, perhaps, eternal self-reproach. So then, without waiting for further consideration, turned back again, and paid the money into the poor man's hand, and giving the remaining four pounds to the woman, who though clean, was miserably clad, desired her to lay part of it out in clothes for herself and children. I will not attempt to describe the surprise and gratitude of the relieved sufferers, nor the overwhelming feelings with Ju- which Julia experienced, who, withdrawing herself with the rapidity of lightning from their thanks and wishing to remain unknown, ran hastily along her road home, not daring to stop, lest her joy at having done a generous deed should be checked by other considerations. But at length exhausted and panting for breath, She was obliged to relax in her speed. And then the image of her angry and disappointed parent appeared to her in all its terrors. What can I do, she exclaimed. Shall I order the police, though I can't pay for it, or go without? No, I ought not to incur so great an expense without my father's leave. And though I know him, to be able to afford it. And to run in debt, he would consider "'as even a greater fault than the other. "'Well, then, I must submit to mortify his pride, "'and though I rejoice in what I have done, "'the joy is amply counterbalanced "'by the idea of giving pain to my father. "'Poor Julia, her own wounded vanity "'came in for its share of causing her uneasiness, "'and the rest of that day, and the next,' Julia spent reflections and fears which did not tend to improve her looks and make a becoming dress unnecessary. The next morning was the morning for the races. The sun shone bright and everything looked cheerful, but Julia, she had scarcely spirits to dress herself. It was very cold and therefore she was forced to wear her faded purple pelisse, And now it looked shabbier than usual and still shabbier from the contrast of a very smart new black velvet bonnet. At length, Julia had finished her toilet, saying to herself, my father talked of Mr. Hanmer's dowdy daughter. I am sure Mr. Hanmer may return the compliment. And then with a heavy heart, she got into the carriage and drove to the house of rendezvous. Mr. Beresford was there before her, and while he contemplated with fearful admiration the elegant cloaks and fine showy figures and faces of the Miss Tracys, between whose father and himself there had been a long rivalship of wealth, he was consoled for their elegance by reflecting how much more expensive and elegant Julia's dress would be and how well she would look flushed as he expected to see her with the blush of emotion on entering a full room and the consciousness more than usual attraction and the consciousness of more than usual attraction in her appearance julia at length appeared but pale dejected and in her old purple police what a mortification his daughter, the great heiress, the worst dressed and most dowdy looking girl in the company, insupportable. Scarcely could he welcome her, though he had not seen her for some days, and he seized the first opportunity of asking her if she had received the notes. Yes, I thank you, sir, replied Julia. Then why did you not buy what I bade you? It could not be gone, for if you did not buy it, nobody else could, I'm sure. I, I, I thought I could do without it, and now there, or there now, there's perverseness. When I wished you not to have it, then you wanted it, and now I protest if I don't believe you did it on purpose to mortify me. And there's those proud minxes whose father is not worth half what I am, are dressed out as fine as princesses. I vow, girl, you look so shabby and ugly, I can't bear to look at you. What a trial for Julia, her eyes filled with tears. And at this moment, Sir Frederick Mortimer approached her and hoped she had not been ill. But he thought she was paler than usual. Paler, cried her father. Why I should not have known her? She has made such a fright of herself. You may say so, sir, replied the baronet politely, though he almost agreed with him but no other man can be of that opinion. Julia was rather gratified by this speech, but without waiting for an answer, Sir Frederick had gone to join the Miss Tracys, and as he entered into an animated conversation with them, Julia was allowed unattended to walk to a window in the next room and enjoy her own melancholy reflections. At length, to Julia's relief, they were summoned to the race ground, "'the baronet taking Miss Hanmer under one arm "'and the elder Miss Tracy under the other. "'So,' cried Beresford, seizing Julia roughly by the hand, "'I must lead you, I see, "'for who will take any notice of such a dowdy? "'Well, girl, I was too proud of you, "'and you have contrived to humble me enough.' "'There was a mixture of tenderness and resentment "'in this speech which quite overcame Julia, "'and she burst into tears.' There now, she is going to make herself worse by spoiling her eyes. But come, tell me what you did with the money. I insist upon knowing. I I gave it away, sobbed out Julia. Gave it away? Monstrous! I protest, I will not speak to you again for a month, so saying he left her and carefully avoided to look at or speak to her again. The races began and were interesting to all but Julia, who, conscious of being beheld by her father with looks of mortification and resentment, and by the man of her choice with indifference, had no satisfaction to enable her to support the unpleasantness of her situation, except the consciousness that her sorrow had been the cause of happiness to others, and that the family whom she had relieved were probably at that moment naming her with praises and blessings. Then why should I be so selfish as to repine, thought Julia. Perhaps no one present has such a right as I to rejoice. For how poor are the gratifications of vanity to the triumphs of benevolence. So like a pho- philosopher reasoned our heroine. But she felt like a woman. And, in spite of herself, an expression of vexation still prevailed over her usual sweetness of countenance. of her countenance. The races at length finished, and with them, she flattered herself would finish her mortification. But in vain, the company was expected to stay to partake of a cold collation, which was to be preceded by music and dancing, and Julia was obliged to accept the unwelcome invitation. As the ladies were most of them very young, they were supposed not to have yet forgotten the art of dancing minuets, an art now of so little use and Mr. Hanmer begged Sir Frederick would lead out his daughter to show off a minuet. The baronet obeyed, and then offering to take out Julia for the same purpose, but she, blushing, refused to comply. Well, what's that for, cried Beresford angrily, who knew that Julia was remarkable for dancing a good minuet. Why can't you dance when you are asked, Miss Beresford? Because, replied Julia in a faltering voice, I have no gown on, and I can't dance a minuet in my in my police. Rot your police, exclaimed Beresford, forgetting all decency and decorum, and turned to the window to hide his angry emotions. While Julia hung her head, abashed, and let and the baronet let out Miss Tracy, who, throwing off the cloak, which she had worn before, having expected such an exhibition would take place, displayed a very fine form set off by the most becoming gown possible. Charming, admirable, what a figure, what grace, was murmured throughout the room. Mr. Beresford's proud heart throbbed almost to agony, while Julia, though ever ready to acknowledge the excellence of another, still felt the whole scene so vexatious to her principally from the mortification from her father that her only resource was again thinking on the family rescued from misery by her. Reels were called, were next called for, and Julia stood up to dance. But she had not danced five minutes when, exhausted by the various emotions which she had undergone during the eight and forty hours, her head became so giddy that she could not proceed and was obliged to sit down. "'I believe the deuce is in the girl,' muttered Mr. Beresford, and to increase her distress, Julia overheard him. In a short time, the dancing was discontinued and a concert begun. Miss Hanmer played a sonata, and Miss Tracy sung a bravura song with great execution. Julia was then called upon to play, but she timidly answered that she had never played lessons.' But you sing, said Miss Hanmer, sometimes, but I beg to be excused singing now. What? You will not sing neither, said Mr. Beresford. I can't sing now, indeed, sir. I am not well enough, and I tremble so much that I have not a steady note in my voice. So, Miss, whispered Mr. Beresford, and this is what I get in return for having squandered so much money on your education. The Miss Tracys were then applied to, and they sung, with great applause, a difficult Italian duo. And they were complimented into the bar again on their readiness to oblige. Poor Julia. You see, Miss Beresford, how silly and contemptible you look, whispered Mister. Beresford, while those squalling misses run away with all the admiration. Julia's persecutions were not yet over. Though you are not well well enough, Miss Beresford, to sing a song, said Mr. Hanmer, which requires much exertion, surely you can sing a ballad without music, which is, I am told, your forte. So I have heard, cried Sir Frederick, do Miss Beresford oblige us? Do, said the Miss Tracys, and we have a claim on you. I own it, replied Julia in a voice scarcely audible, but you who are such proficients in music must know that to sing a simple ballad requires more self-possession and steadiness of tone than any other kind of singing, as all the merit depends on the clearness of utterance and the power of sustaining the notes. True, but do try. Indeed, I cannot, and shrugging up their shoulders, the ladies desisted from further importunities. I am so surprised said one of them to the other leaning across two or three gentlemen i heard that miss beresford was remarkably good-humored and obliging and she seems quite sullen and obstinate don't you think so oh dear yes and not obliging at all no indeed cried miss hanmer she seems to presume on her wealth i think what think you gentlemen but the gentlemen were not so hasty in their judgments two of them only observed that Miss Beresford was in no respect like herself that day. "'Perhaps she is in love,' said Miss Tracy, laughing at the shrewdness of her own observation. "'Perhaps so,' replied Sir Frederick thoughtfully. "'It was Sir Frederick's intention to marry, and if possible, a young woman born in the same county as himself, for he wished her to have the same local prejudices as he had and to have the same early attachments.' Consequently, he inquired of his steward before he came to reside at his seat and to the character of the ladies in the neighborhood. But the steward could, or would, talk of no one but Julia Beresford. And of her he gave so exalted a character that Sir Frederick, who only remembered her as a pleasing, modest girl, was very sorry that he had not paid her more attention. Soon after, in the gallery of an eminent painter, he saw her picture and though he thought it flattered he gazed on it with pleasure and fancied that Julia when animated might be quite as handsome as that was since that time he had frequently thought of her and thought of her as a woman formed to make him happy and indeed he had gone to look at her picture the day before he came down to the country and it had strong and had it strongly in his remembrance when he saw Julia herself pale spiritless and ill-dressed in Mr. Hanmer's drawing-room. Perhaps it would be too much to say that he felt as much chagrined as Mr. Beresford, but certain it is that he was sensibly disappointed that he could not help yielding to the superior attraction of the lovely and elegant Miss Tracy. Besides, she was the object of general attention, and we know of old that I'll contend to win her grace, whom all beheading whom all commend. The concert being over, the company adjourned to an elegant entertainment set out in the open in an open pavilion in the park, which commanded a most lovely view of the adjacent country. Julia seated herself near the entrance. The baronet placed himself between the two lovely sisters, and Beresford, in order to be able to vent his spleen every now and again at in his daughter's ear, took a chair beside her. The collation had every delicacy to tempt the palate and every decoration to gratify the taste, and all except the pensive Julia seemed to enjoy it. When as she was leaning from the door to speak to a lady at the head of the table, a little boy about 10 years old peeped into the pavilion as if anxiously looking for someone. The child was so clean and so neat in his dress that a gentleman near him patted his curly head and asked him what he wanted. A lady. But what lady? Here is one, and a pretty one, too, showing the lady next to him. Will she not do? Oh, no, she is not my lady, replied the boy. At this moment, Julia turned round, and the little boy, clapping his hands, exclaimed, Oh, that's she. "'That's she.' Then running out, he cried, "'Mother, mother, father, father, here she is. "'We have found her at last.' And before Julia, who suspected what was to follow, could leave her place and get out of the pavilion, the poor man and woman, whom she had relieved, and their now well-clothed, happy-looking family, appeared before the door of it. "'What does all this mean?' cried Mr. Hanmer. "'Good people, whom do you want?' We come, sir, cried the man in search of that young lady, pointing to Julia, as we could not go from the neighborhood without coming to thank and bless her, for she saved me from going for a soldier and my wife and children from a workhouse, sir, and made me and mine as comfortable as you now see us. Dear father, let me pass, pray pray, do, cried Julia, trembling with emotion and oppressed with ingenuous modesty. Stay right where you are, cried Beresford, in a voice between laughing and crying. Well, but how came you hither, cried Mr. Hanmer, who began to think that this was a premeditated scheme of Julia's to show off before the company. Why, sir, shall I tell the whole story? asked the man. No, no, pray, go away, cried Julia, and I'll come and speak to you. "'By no means,' cried the baronet eagerly. "'The story, the story, if you please.' The man then began and related Julia's meeting him and his family, her having relieved them and then running away to avoid their thanks and to prevent her being followed, as it seemed, and being known. That resolved not to rest till the day they had learnt the name of their benefactress. They had described her person and her dress, "'But, bless your honor,' interrupted the woman. "'When we said what she had done for us, "'we had not asked any more, for everyone said "'it could be nobody but Miss Julia Beresford.' "'Here Julia hid her face on her father's shoulder, "'and the company said, "'Not a word.' "'The young ladies appeared, conscious-struck, "'for it seemed that no one in the neighborhood, "'and they were of it, could do a kind action, "'but Miss Julia Beresford.' "'Well, my good man, go on,' cried Beresford gently. "'Well, sir, yesterday I heard that if I went to live at a market down town four miles off, I could get more work to do than I have in my own village and employ for my little boy, too. <laughs> so we resolved to go and try our luck there, but we could not be easy to go away without coming to thank and bless that good le- young lady.' So, hearing at her house that she has come hither, we made bold to follow her. Your servants told us where to find her. Ah, bless her! Thanks to her, I can afford to hire a cart for my poor sick wife and family. Ah, miss, miss, cried the little boy, pulling Julia by the arm. Only think, we shall ride in a cart with a tall horse. And brother and I have got new shoes. Only look! But Miss was crying and did not like to look. However, she made an effort and looked up, but was forced to turn away her head again, overset by a God bless you, heartily pronounced by the poor woman and echoed by the man. This is quite a scene. I protest, cried Miss Tracy. But one in which we should all have been proud to have been actors, I trust, answered the baronet. What say you gentlemen and ladies? Continued he, coming forward. Though we cannot equal Miss Beresford's kindness, since she sought out poverty, and it comes to us, what say you? Shall we make a purse for these good people, that they may not think there is only one kind being in the neighborhood?" Agreed, cried everyone, and as Sir Frederick held the hat, the subscription from the ladies was a very liberal one, but Mr. Beresford gave five guineas then mr hanmer desired the overjoyed family to go to his house to get some refreshment and the company reseated themselves but mr beresford having quitted his seat in order to wipe his eyes unseen at the door the baronet had taken the vacant place by julia now ladies and gentlemen cried beresford blowing his nose you shall see a new sight a parent asking pardon of his child "'Julia, my dear, I know I behaved very ill. "'I know I was very cross to you, very savage. "'I know I was. "'You are a good girl, and always were, "'and ever will be the pride of my life. "'So let's kiss and be friends.' "'Julia, throwing herself into her father's arms, "'declared that she should now be herself again. "'What? More scenes?' cried Mr. Hanmer. "'What are you sentimental to, Beresford? "'Who should have thought it?' Why, I'll tell you a story now, replied he. That girl vexed and mortified me confoundedly. That she did. I wished her to be smart, to do honor to you and your daughter to a day, to today. So I sent her 12 guineas to buy a very handsome velvet pelisse, which she took a fancy to, but which I thought too dear. But instead of that, here she comes in, this old fright, and a fine dowdy figure she looks and when I reproached her, she said she had given the money away, and so I suppose it was that very money which she gave to these poor people. Was it not so, Julia? It was, replied Julia, and I dared not then be so extravagant as to get the police too. So, Hanmer, continued Beresford, you may sneer at me for being sentimental, if you please. But I am now prouder of my girl in her shabby cloak here than if she were dressed out in silks and satins. And so you ought to be, cried Sir Frederick. And Miss Beresford has converted this garment, lifting up the end of the police, into a robe of honor. So saying, he gallantly pressed it to his lips. Come, I will give you a toast continued he. Here is the health of the woman who was capable of sacrificing the gratification of her personal vanity to the claims of benevolence. The ladies put up their pretty lips, but drank the toast, and Beresford went to the door to wipe his eyes again, while Julia could not help owning to herself that if she had had her moments of mortification, they were richly paid. The collation was now resumed, and Julia partook of it with pleasure. Her heart was at ease, her cheek recovered its bloom, and her eyes their luster. Again the Miss Tracy sung, and with increased brilliancy of execution. It was wonderful. They sung like professors, everyone said, and then again was Julia requested to sing. I can sing now, she replied, and I never refuse when I can do so. Now I have my father's favor, I shall find my voice too. And then, without any more preamble, she sung a plaintive and simple ballad in a manner the most touching and unadored. No one applauded while she sang, for all seemed afraid to lose any particle of the notes so sweet and so pathetic. But when she had ended, everyone, except Sir Frederick, loudly commended her, and he was silent. But Julia saw that his eyes glistened, and she heard him sigh, and she was very glad that he said nothing. Again the sisters sung, and Julia too. And then the party broke up, but Mrs. Tracy invited the same party to meet at her house in the evening, to a ball and supper, and they all agreed to wait on her. As they returned to the house sir frederick gave his arm to julia and miss tracy walked before them that is a very fine showy elegant girl observed frederick sir frederick she is indeed and very handsome replied julia and her singing is really wonderful just so replied sir frederick it is wonderful but not pleasing her singing is like herself She is a bravura song, showy and brilliant, but not touching, not interesting. Julia smiled at the illustration, and the baronet continued. Will you be angry at my presumption, Miss Barreford, if I venture to add that you too resemble your singing? If Miss Tracy be a bravura song, you are a ballad, not showy, not brilliant, but touching interesting and oh pray say no more cried julia blushing and hastening to join the company but it was a blush of pleasure as she wrote home she amu- uh, but it was a blush of pleasure and as she wrote home she amused herself with analyzing all the properties of the ballad and she was very well contented with the analysis that evening all herself again, and dressed with exquisite and becoming taste, danced, smiled, talked, and was universally admired. But she was particular but was she particularly so? Did the man of her heart follow her with delighted attention? Julia, said her happy father as they went home tonight, you will have the velvet police. And Sir Frederick too, I expect. Nor was he mistaken. The police was hers the next day, and the Baronet some months after. But Julia, to this hour, preserves with the utmost care the faded police, which Sir Frederick had pronounced to be a robe of honor. so, what was lost has once again been found. Thank you for listening and for helping to resurrect this bygone story, for tales only live when they are told. Spare a thought for the stories of our time who befall a similar fate. Not all great artists are remembered in history's library, and if saving stories inspires you, then come back to our reading room. Bring a friend, perhaps, and just for a while, Stand firm in the face of time.